We'll continue our study of Behold, I Show You a Mystery. So this is part three, and we're picking up tonight in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. So the last time we got together, just to recap, we were looking at the Greek word musterion, which is many times translated as mystery in the in the New Testament, and that's Greek word 3466, and it's synonymous with the word sowed. So we looked last week at the word sowed and how the word sowed is used, and a lot of times it's translated as um, secret or a, it can be translated as assembly, secret assembly. So it has to do with God concealing something or keeping something um, hidden that he, he expects his people to go and, and search it out into the scriptures. And we're gonna and what we're gonna be looking at tonight, we're gonna be starting with what is the mystery of the gospel? And this is another one of those mysteries that's kind of hidden in plain sight. Because who was the gospel intended for? Was it intended just for the Jewish people or was it intended for all people? So when we think about when Messiah says in John chapter 10, there shall be one flock and there shall be one shepherd. Did he mean, but after, I'm, after I die and I'm resurrected, there, there's going to be two paths, there's going to be two ways of salvation. No, there's one way of salvation. There's one way. And think about what Messiah said in John chapter 14, verse 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's a difference between a way and the way. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7, we're going to be looking at what is the mystery of the gospel. What is the mystery of the gospel? So starting in verse 6, it says, However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. That word mature is teleos or teleos. It's Greek word 5046, and it means ready to apprehend or take on divine things. And you would spell that T-E-L-I-O-S, teleos. So ready to apprehend or take on divine things. So when you see we speak wisdom among those who are mature, it's talking about those who are spiritually mature. Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying earthly knowledge, you know, might get you a promotion. It might get you a good job. But how does it stack up when it comes to judgment day and your eternal future? What you know on this earth means diddly squat. But when it comes to the things of God, and you're talking about His wisdom, we're going to keep reading and see what that wisdom looks like to the world. To the world, it looks like foolishness. But to those who have the Spirit of God within them, I mean, it's, it's all we've got. We've got et our eternal life. So in terms of the book of Hebrews, it's the meat rather than the milk. It's the meat rather than the milk. Let's put a finger here. I was, think I was thinking Hebrews chapter 5, but you, since you said it, let's just go there. Hebrews chapter 5. So when we talk about those who are spiritually mature, it's those who are able to take on the meat of the word and not the milk. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, it says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. 
For everyone who partakes of only milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So, when we're talking about those who are spiritually mature, it's talking about those who are able to take on what we call the meat of the word. The deeper things, those mysteries that God reveals to those who are really, really, really searching for it. So, what is it that Paul, here in the book of he- in Hebrews, what is it he calls the milk of the word? Well, if you keep reading, verse chapter 6, verse 1 says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, or Messiah, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. So all of these things are what Paul would refer to as the milk of the word, the foundation. So once you've laid that foundation, what do you build on that foundation with? Do you just have a, think about when you build a house, do you just have a foundation and you just start putting the furniture in? You have to build the walls, you have to put everything up around it. So if you go to 1 Corinthians 3, it tells you what you need to build on that foundation. So you're already in 1 Corinthians 2, so just flip the page. So 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12, it says, Now if anyone builds on this foundation, actually verse 11, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Messiah Yeshua. So what is your foundation? It's Messiah. That's your foundation. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, those are good works, wood, hay, or straw, those are bad works, each one's work will become clear for the day, which is judgment day, will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as so through fi- yet so as through fire. So this is saying the works that you do that are good works, those are referred to as gold, silver, and precious stones. The works that you did that were not necessarily good will be burned up as wood, hay, and straw are burned up in an instant. So this is talking about once you are saved, once you have, once you receive the milk of the word, how do you build on that foundation? You build on it with the meat of the word. And that's what we're doing tonight is we're looking into the meat of the word. All right, go back to chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. It says... But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. That's the word mysterion. But we speak the wisdom of God in a a mystery. In other words, why is it spoken in a mystery? Those who have ears to hear will what? They will hear. If you don't have ears to hear, it'll sound like foolishness. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Now, wait a minute. It says God ordained the mystery of the wisdom of God, the mystery of the gospel, the good news, it says, was ordained before the ages for our glory. So that means there was no plan B. The gospel was not plan B. So those, of, those that say salvation was by works, then it was by faith, and then it will be back to works, we've totally missed the boat. 
it says everything that God ordained, he, he ordained it when? When was the lamb slain? From the foundation of the world. Verse 8, it says, Which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So if they would have known all of that, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. <coughs> yes? So uh, when it talks about the rulers of this age, it mentions that, mentions that twice, you know, yes. this section. Do you think that also includes, you know, the demonic spirits? And, um, I would... The principalities? The prince, you know, it referred... In the scriptures, it does refer to the principalities yeah. as talking about the spiritual. Well, think about it. What would have influenced the scribes and the Pharisees to do what they have done? It would have been the power behind them. Right. So the principalities is the rulers or the powers behind what causes people to do what they do. I hope that, did that answer your question. Okay. Yeah. So verse 8, it says, Which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You know, and this reminds me of Acts chapter 2, where it says that, you know, when Peter was preaching to the people, when they heard the message, and when Peter pretty much pointed the finger at them and said, It's you. You crucified him. What did it say the people were? It said they were cut to the heart. And they said, What do we need to do? And Peter said, Go join the local First Baptist Church. No, what did he say? Repent. Repent. He said, repent, turn from your sin, quit sinning, repent and be baptized. So none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Verse 9 says, but as it is written, written where? In the scripture. It says, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who what? Love him. Love him. So what does this have to do with what we're talking about here? If you think about this wisdom that we're speaking of here, this wisdom that Paul is speaking of, this the wisdom of God hidden in a mystery, it's not something, this wisdom of God is not going to be revealed to everybody. It says God has prepared it for those who what? Love Him. Love Him. And what does it mean to love Him? It means to have faith in Him. If, if you love God, you're going to have faith in Him. If you have faith in Him, you're going to keep His commandments. It's just a domino effect that goes from one thing to the other to the other. Verse 10 says, But God has revealed them to us through what? His Holy Spirit. Where does the Holy Spirit live? Within us. And what is the Spirit supposed to do? It directs you in the way that you are to go. And what is the Spirit's job? Is it just to sit there and let you do whatever you want to do? You just keep living in sin, it's okay. What did Paul say back in Romans? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? And his answer was what? God forbid. God, made God forbid. So Paul is saying God has revealed these things to us through his spirit. That spirit that dwells within the hearts of believers. And what else does that spirit do according to Jeremiah 31? That new covenant, it says it writes the Torah upon your heart. So when you read the Torah and you take in its words, what is the Holy Spirit doing with those words? Writing them on your hearts. For what purpose? That we might not sin against God. That we'll do them. It says, But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. The deep things of God. So it's those mysteries, those things that are hidden within the scriptures, or, or as I keep saying, hidden in plain sight. 
those things that that you read over a hundred times and on the hundred and first time something just slaps you upside the head and you're like I've never seen that before I've never seen that before verse 11 says for what man knows the thing for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him even so no one things no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God so how can you know the things of God unless the spirit of God dwells within you if you don't have the spirit living within you and you read this book what is it going to sound like to you it's going to sound like a fairy tale it's going to sound like a bunch of stories and some places you might even say it sounds like foolishness but when the spirit of God is living within you and directs you into the scriptures, what are you going to find? You're going to find words of life. You're going to find words of life. Because this is a living word. And what does the, what does the scripture say about the word? It's a two-edged sword. And what is that two-edged sword supposed to cut out of your life? Cut the, cut the sin out of your life. All right, verse 12. It says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, thank goodness, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. What is it that God freely gave to us? What has God freely given to us? Salvation. He's given us eternal life. And all we have to do is accept Him, have faith in Him, live for Him. And that's what God expects of us. And it's just like what we talked about tonight. In the book of Ecclesiastes, what is man's all? Put a finger here. Let's go look at it. I want you to put your eyes on it. Put your eyes on it. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. So the things that have been given to us freely by God, what does God expect us to do? Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, it says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. That word in Hebrew is devar. That means, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, or you could translate it as word. So the whole word, the whole scripture, can be summed up in these two verses. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, whether in, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So if we can keep that focus, that's going to make our judgment day go a whole lot smoother. So we fear God, we keep His commandments. That's man's all. So if you want to know the secret of life, here it is. You fear God, you keep His commandments. And to fear God, that means to obey Him out of what? out of love. And remember, back to verse 9 in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. Verse 13 says, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual so that's exactly what it's, the, the whole gist of what we're, we're driving at here is that the Holy Spirit teaches us the spiritual aspects or the spiritual things of God. Think about the purpose of the parables. What was the par purpose of the parables supposed to be for? Was it just a bunch of stories that people were supposed to hear and, oh, that's a nice story, and then just go on with their business? Or was it intended for those who had an ear to hear, they were going to hear the deeper things of God? 
They were going to hear those spiritual things that God had for them. So when you hear the, sto- the parable of the seed, you're not going to hear a story about a guy throwing seed on rocks and grow- throwing seeds here and throwing seed. You're going to hear a, the deeper mysteries about the gospel, how some people won't receive it because they're stony hearted. You won't, you won't catch those things if you're not listening for them. And that's what it means with comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. Verse 14, it says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are what to him? Foolishness. 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 So, this should explain why when you tell people about the things of God, the wonderful things of God, many times people don't receive it. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to receive it. It's because they're operating from what kind of man? The natural man. The carnal, we, you might also hear it called the carnal man. So they're operating from the carnal man, the fleshly man. And it says the carnal man, the fleshly man, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So if somebody does not have the Spirit of God dwelling within them, are they going to be able to understand the deeper things of God, the deeper mysteries, the the sowed level of God? And the answer is no. It's almost like we're from different planets. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's like you're just from a completely different, a different, completely different place. But if you think about it, you're on a different spiritual plane. So I mean, you're 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 operating in the spirit level when you when you listen to the the things of the spirit of God, and the fleshly man is just operating at the worldly level. You could say it's like going to Mexico, and you don't speak. But you have a translator, like the Holy Spirit, who can explain the language of God so that you can understand it. And without that Holy Spirit as your translator, yeah. you're a natural man, and you could have read, and it's in Spanish. You don't, you yeah. don't read Spanish. Yeah. So when you it's just a foreign language, video, yeah. When you receive the translator, suddenly everything that's hidden is now revealed. You yeah. just have, but you still... You have to apply yourself and study because the Holy Spirit just doesn't come in and open up like an encyclopedia. You have to be desiring it. Right. And and you also have, I mean, and there are things too. Think about this. When, When we come to Torah, you know, I think you have to have that spiritual desire to want to have to want to have a deeper walk with God, but at the same time, you also have to have you have to be taught, because it's not one of those things that you just happen upon. Especially if you've sat under, you know, I'm just going to say really bad doctrine for years and years and years and years and years. You have, I mean, so you're going to read the the scripture through that lens, but you have to have a teacher to help you kind of wade through the scriptures and say, well, look at this, compare it to this. And that reminds me of Romans 10. Romans 10, chapter um, 14 and 15. Romans 10, chapter 14, verses 14 and 15. It says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? 
as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So, you know, once you believe, you have to hear the word being taught and you have to hear, take that teaching just like the Bereans. You have to take the words that are taught, you have to match them with the scripture, and then like you said, you have to apply them to your life. It's not just hearing the words, it's hear and do. How many times through the scriptures did God say, hear it and do it? That's having a hearing ear. Right. It's not just hear it and then go on with it. You hear it and then you do it. So back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 7, where it says, We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. That word hidden, that word hidden is the Greek word apocrypto. Apocrypto. It kind of sounds like the word cryptic, doesn't it? Like a cryptic message is something that's kind of hidden. So apocrypto, you spell it A-P-O-K-R-Y-P-T-O, apocrypto. And that's Greek word 613. And I want us to look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, at another place where that word apocrypto is used. Matthew 11, verses 20, chapter 11, verse 25. Matthew 11, verse 25, it says, At that time Yeshua answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. The word hidden is apocrypto. So this goes right along with what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It says the things that are hidden from the wise and the prudent are revealed to those who have a humble spirit about them, the ones that want to hear it. So, if you think about what does this have to do with the mystery of the gospel, what does all of this have to do with the gospel? Well, like I said earlier, who was the gospel intended for? It was intended for everybody. Now, when you think about Acts chapter 15, if you go to Acts chapter 15, it talks about... Who is the gospel for? Is the gospel just for Jewish people? Or is it for everybody? Well, it was preached to Abraham. Right. Right, right, right. We'll mute everybody. So Acts chapter 15, verse 1, it says, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So in other words, unless you are circumcised according to the custom, you can't be saved. Now, is that the way of salvation that God established? Absolutely not. So if you go down to verse 9, or verse 8, it says, So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them, talking about the Gentiles, by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. So who is the gospel message for? It's for everybody. There's one way of salvation, and they should have known this. They should have known this. 
So if you go to Colossians chapter 1, we're going to keep digging into this mystery of the gospel. Who was the gospel for? Who was the gospel for? Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 28. It says, I now rejoice, starting in verse 24, it says, now, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Messiah for the sake of his body, which is the church or the called out assembly of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which, has, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which had been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to, to who? His saints. His saints. The Hagios. Now who are the saints? Those are the ones who keep the commandments of God and also what? have the faith of Yeshua, have the faith of the Messiah. So it says, the mystery which has been hidden from, the ages, from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Messiah in you, the hope of glory. So that mystery, that the gospel, the things of God, Paul is saying, were to be revealed also to the Gentiles. It says to them God God to them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Messiah in you the hope of glory. So that mystery of that gospel is to reveal Messiah to not just one group of people but to who? Everybody. Everyone. Verse 28, him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. And remember we read back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 about that wisdom. What kind of wisdom are we talking about? Is it earthly, natural wisdom? It's, th it's only spiritual wisdom which can only be spiritually discerned. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Messiah Yeshua. Perfect means complete. It doesn't mean absolutely perfect. It means complete. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working which works in me mightily. So Paul is saying the, mystery, or the gospel which is preaching Messiah, the hope of glory, is for everyone. Is for everyone. Alright, go to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about the circumcision... Look down on the uncircumcision. Because in verse 11 of chapter 2 it says, Remember therefore that you once Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in flesh by hands. At that time you were without Messiah being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope in the world, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Messiah Yeshua, who, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. He, for He Himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. So what is that middle wall of separation? Is that the law and the, the commandments of God? No. It's talking about the, the, the hatred, the enmity that separated the Jewish people and the Gentiles. 
bringing them together. So what is Paul saying here? How many ways? Is there a ham side and a lamb side? No, no there's one way. One group. Go down to chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1. It says, For this reason, for this reason, because you are all, because Gentiles are now fellow citizens, no longer strangers, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Messiah Yeshua, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God or the stewardship of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by the revelation, or how that by revelation, he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Messiah, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Holy Spirit to by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, colon, here's the mystery that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of His promise in Messiah through the gospel. So what is it that was hidden, mystery, to hidden in plain sight to the prophets and the, the men of old that was revealed to us now? Paul told us, it said that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body partakers of His promise in Messiah through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effecting, effective working of His power. So what, was, what is that mystery hidden in plain sight that Gentiles would be fellow heirs? Now, if we look back into what we call the Old Testament, are there places that say Gentiles will be keeping Sabbath? Yes. Absolutely. Where is that? That's Isaiah 56. Let's go to Isaiah 56. So how can, so think about this. How can they know to keep Sabbath if they didn't hear the gospel? If they didn't hear the words of life? They couldn't. And what was Israel supposed to be for the nations? A teacher. The light. That takes us back to Deuteronomy chapter 4. What was their job to do? It was to provoke the nations to jealousy. What a great and awesome God that these people serve. We want to go and worship their God. But instead, what happened? Instead of being a light to the world, they became like the world. And that's why they have been in captivity many times over the years. And the northern kingdom is still in captivity. But Isaiah 56, talking about the Gentiles, verse 6, it says, Also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve Him and to love the name of the Lord, to be His servants. Everyone who keeps from the filing the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring into my holy mountain. What is my holy mountain? That's the kingdom. That is the kingdom. So what is this saying? This is saying even the foreigner, even the one who used to be pagan. That's what the Hebrew word nachar means. It's a pagan, one who used to worship other gods. But now has chosen to worship the true and living God. It says, if he can, can he come in that spiritual state, still worshiping other gods? No. no. He would have had to have what? Repented. Repented. Then he will come, he will, 
even him I will bring into my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. Now here are some words that Messiah quoted. For my house will be called a house of prayer for how many nations? All nations. Do you think when Messiah was whipping people out of the temple, getting 11 out of Papa's house, do you think he had Isaiah 56 in mind and was trying to get the people to think Isaiah 56 in their mind? Absolutely. I believe so. He wasn't just using this verse out of context. He was saying, you're making this house a den of thieves, but this is supposed to be a house of prayer for not just the Jewish people, but for all nations. All nations. And it makes me think of Psalm 117. Hallelujah, Adonai, kol goyim. We sing it in our psalm book sometimes. Psalm 117, it's only two verses, so you might flip over it. So like I said, you could sing this in Hebrew. Hallelujah, Adonai, kol goyim. What does kol goyim mean? All the Gentiles. Kol means all. It says, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud Him, all you peoples. For His merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Word endures forever. And then, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So we see all these different scriptures, and these are just two. We can turn to lots of different scriptures. But we see all of these different nuggets hidden within the scriptures that they had. They had access to the Psalms. They sang the Psalms. Psalm 117 is part of the, um, the Hallel Psalms that they would sing. So they were singing these words, but what were they not doing to the words? They were not listening to the words. They were not hearing the words. So since the truth of the Lord refers to the Torah, and this psalm is about all the Gentiles, who is the Torah for? The Torah is for everyone. And how can the Gentiles be part of his people if they're not keeping God's commandments, God's Torah? Lots of things to chew on with this. And that is part of this mystery of the gospel. We notice through the mystery of, this, of the gospel, there's only one gospel. And the purpose of the gospel is that everybody would become fellow heirs with Messiah. Not just one group of people. So if we're fellow heirs with Messiah, what does that mean? We're expected to walk how? As walk. Messiah walked. How did Messiah walk? He walked perfectly in the commandments of God. <clears throat> All right. So a few more scriptures here. Looking at Ephesians chapter 3 verses 1 through 7. Let's go to Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42. You know, I've been, I've been telling you this whole time how this mystery was hidden in plain sight. You know, they would sing Psalm 117 as part of the, the, the Hallel, the Hallel Psalms when they were going up to Jerusalem. So they were singing these songs. But like I said, they weren't listening to the words. Isaiah 42, 6. It says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand, for I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people as a light to who? The Gentiles. To open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. So what was 
What was Israel supposed to be doing? They were supposed to be a light to the nations, especially the, the, the Gentiles, the nations. They were to be a light. And what does a light do? A light shines. A light is supposed to bring people to out of the darkness. In the end there in verse 6 where it says, as a light to the Gentiles. It actually in Hebrew says, for yep. a light to the Gentiles. For a light to the Gentiles, yes. <coughs> So what was the purpose of it? It was to be a light for the nations, for the Gentiles. Yep. Uh, go to Isaiah 49.6. Uh, Wayne also uh, mentions to us on Sukkot that, if I remember, I don't remember the exact number and all that, but anyway, the 70 nations are represented with the sacrifices, right? right? 70 bulls. Yeah, mm -hmm. 70 One for each nation. Yep. So. Yep. That, shouldn't that ring a bell? Yeah. <laughs> and then what is that giant lampstand that's set up in the temple courtyard? It's called the light of the yeah, world. The of the yep, the light of the world. Yep. All right, Isaiah 49, verse 6. Isaiah 49, 6. It says, Indeed, he says, talking about the Lord, Is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel? I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. So how many people does God desire to be considered his people? All, All people. All people. All people. Not just one group of people. All right. Let's go to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 actually quotes from Isaiah 49 6. Acts chapter 13, verse 47. You know, we might as well read verses 42 and 43 while we're here. Sure. Why not? Since we're talking about one in Messiah. We're talking about this mystery of the gospel. It says, So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them on the next Sunday. Nope. <laughs> What's it say? The next Sabbath. Now when the congregation, that's the word synagogue, when the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, Almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Now when it says the whole city, that's talking about a mixed crowd, Jew and Gentile, a mixed multitude. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, now how do you think they grew bold? Do you think they grew bold within themselves? No. Or do you think the Holy Spirit, the same way with Peter, gave him the words that he was to say? Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It is necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For, the Lord, for so the Lord has commanded us, and this is from Isaiah 49, 6, it says, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles 
that you should be for salvations to the, salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, when the Gentiles heard it, they were glad and glorified the word of God. Well, of course they were. You know, woo! You know, the, we get the word, you know, we get et eternal life, everlasting life. So, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. So, Paul, he talked to, he spoke to the Jewish people and said, because you rejected the word, the gospel has to go also to the Gentiles. Yes, ma'am. Yes, yes. God knows. God knows. It's not what, I mean, it's what, what people would think. Because if you think about what Scripture says, how many people does, who, who does God want to believe in Him? Whomsoever will come. God is long-suffering that who should believe? All should believe. All should come to salvation. But who's going to receive it? Just those that Pointed on salvation. Yeah, God knows who they are. Yes. On this, if I keep my brain together, the the temple had the court of the Gentiles. Right. I'm I'm curious about the regular synagogues because why are the Gentiles who apparently just heard some of what was being spoken mm -hmm. said, oh. This sounds wonderful. Could you preach this message to us next Sabbath? Because apparently they couldn't really understand it all from where they were. Maybe they were treated like you sit out here, we sit in here, and, and, the, and we get the scraps. But uh, I mean, it's quite possible. Because it that just struck me that why would they just were there? Why would they be saying, "Hey, preach this to us next week"? Yeah, I mean, it could have been that they were just in a place where they were. Not, not able to hear it as, like you said, as well, clearly. The typical synagogues, they had the women over here around the children and the Jewish men over here. It may have been that the Gentiles were simply not allowed to hear the speaker. You know, and what the scripture that comes to my mind, there was partiality shown in the synagogues, James chapter 2. Yes. So when we read in James chapter 2 about that partiality, you know, what did James tell the people to do? To show partiality or He's, don't? He told them that's that's about as bad a thing yeah. as you can do. So he said, if you see somebody coming in, in in good clothing and rich, you don't tell them, you sit here, and then the one that's poor and filthy, you sit here at my footstool. So would there have probably been partiality shown? It's, it really it's, like it. it's possible, yeah. Just think of Acts chapter 10, when Peter, without the vision, said, hey guys, come on in. No, he would have said, y'all leave. No, he we said, can't I can't associate. Do that. Right. Yeah. yeah. So would there have been that... That partiality, uh, like yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like yeah. enmity that separates. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, what do you think Paul was coming to preach? He was coming to preach that middle wall separation down. And and what did the people? Some of the people received it. Some didn't. So. And Daniel, uh, uh, that goes along with these verses about preaching to the Gentiles or teaching the Gentiles, which goes back to the Great Commission in Matthew. 28, he told the disciples to go to uh, Judea, start start at home, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Right. The problem is, that's why that's why Peter had to have that vision in Acts 10, because he was only staying in Judea. He yep. wasn't going out. Yep. 
Yep, there was persecution that arose and had to push everybody out. And that's because when God said, preach the gospel, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. When he said the uttermost parts of the world, what did he mean by that? <laughs> he meant the uttermost parts of the he world. somebody else, right? Yeah, he meant the uttermost parts of the world is what he meant. Yep, you're absolutely right. So we've talked about, we spent some time looking at the mystery of the gospel. So that mystery of the gospel, who was the gospel for? Was it for one group? It was for everybody. It's free for everybody. It was free for everybody. And that mystery was hidden in plain sight in the scriptures. So, come to Galatians 3.8, right? Yes. <laughs> Galatians 3.8, yes. Because it does speak about the gospel being spoken, preached beforehand to Abraham. Galatians 3.8, it says, In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed, so then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So again, another scripture by Paul saying, this gospel was meant to be for not just one group of people, it was for everybody. Was Abraham Jewish or Gentile? Gentile. <laughs> he was a Gentile, yeah. I know this, people might say, well, the scripture says he's a Hebrew. Well, he Hebrew means he crossed over. He, that's where the word Ivrit comes from. It means to cross over. So what was he crossing over from? Idolatry. <laughs> from idolatry to the worship of the true and living God. That's what a Hebrew means. It means crossing over. Yep. All right. So now we're going to switch gears a little bit. We're going to keep talking about the word musterion, but we're going to look now at the mystery of the resurrection. Mystery of the resurrection. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 53. The key verse is 51. And this is kind of the verse that's, I guess you would call it like the, the star verse of the, of the entire study. At least it's where the study got its name. Alright, we're going to start in verse 50. It says, Now I say this, brethren, this is Paul speaking, he says, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood, I want you to underline this word, cannot, cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. All right, that word cannot is actually a phrase in the Greek. And it's odunami. Odunami. You spell it like this. O-U space D-Y-N-A-M-A-I. means have no, has no power. Right. It says, so when we look at that phrase odunami, it means it's, it's more than just can't. It means it's not able, not strong enough. It doesn't have the power. So I know in a lot of, you know, I, at least, you know, the church that, I, that we went to for a while talked about dunamis. They really were hung up on that Greek word dunamis, you know, like the dunamis power of God. And that's where that, that's where that word dunami comes from is the word dunamis. They're related terms. So it has to do with power. 
not being strong enough or able to inherit the kingdom of God. So if you look back and put that phrase in, it says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh in God is not strong enough, not powerful enough to inherit the kingdom of God. So think about this. If you we, Yes. Um, I, uh, this is slightly at an angle, but you were talking about dunamis and people being hung up on power, the explosive end of it very often when they talked about it. Mm -hmm. But I always like to point out that uh, it's also related to the word for dynamo, uh -huh. which is controlled, not just explosive. Yeah. Which is, um, I think sometimes folk who are very into the explosive need to be reminded that dynamo is, is uh, you know, you're in charge. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Related to dynamite, too. Yep. But yeah, they love that one, and they, they tend to like the more dramatic side. Right. But I think dynamo is a very good antidote. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So... When we think about flesh and blood not having the power, not being able to inherit the kingdom of God, what does that mean? If we were to stand before God, think about Isaiah. When he was having the vision of standing in the throne room of God, what were his words? Was he like, woohoo, this is, this is the moment I've been waiting for. I'm undone. He said, I'm a dead man. I'm flesh and blood, sinful man standing in the presence of Almighty God. I'm dead. I'm a dead man. But what did God, what was the vision for? It was to show Isaiah, it was to send him forth on his mission. Forgive him of his sins, send him forth on his mission. But that was a vision. What if that would have really happened? Then Isaiah would be dead. He would have been a dead man. He, was, he would have, ding, 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 you're right. You would have been a dead man. But flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So you can look at it from that angle too. But you can also look at it from this angle. In our flesh, do we have the power to try to save ourselves? Yeah. We do not have the power to save ourselves. So we think about all those scriptures that talk about salvation is by faith. Salvation is not by works. Because if we try to save ourselves, Paul says, you know, salvation is by faith, not of works, lest anyone should what? Boast. So if we can save ourselves... We have nothing to we have nothing to brag about before God because can we in our flesh and flesh and blood bodies live a perfect life? We're we're living in sinful flesh, so we have to think about what you know we can't we don't have the power, we don't have the ability within ourselves to inherit the kingdom of God. That's why we have to have that Holy Spirit living within us, you know, helping us to clean the sin out of our lives because that's what that helper, that's what that comforter is there to help us to do, is to help us clean the sin out of our lives, not to continue living in it. And look how verse 34 fits right with that one. 1 Corinthians 15, 34? Yeah. Yep. So back up to verse 34, it says, Awake to what? Righteousness. righteousness and keep on sinning. No. no. What's it say? Awake to righteousness and do not sin. Now, I don't know how much more plain Paul can be. 
So for all of the teachers that say Paul says the law is abolished, Paul tells you not to keep the law, all these places that say you can continue in sin and God likes it, Paul is saying, wake up to righteousness. What is righteousness the opposite of? Lawlessness. Lawlessness. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. What is, Hosea what is that? Yeah, 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 yeah. What is knowledge according to the book of Hosea? Go back to Hosea 4 6. We are ibexing all over the place, aren't we? But you know what? What does this show about the scripture? The consistency of the scripture. It shows the consistency of the Scripture. I mean, and think about this. We're going from the New Testament back to the Old Testament. We just crossed that wall of separation. You're talking 40 authors over 1,600 years and it's consistent. It's consistent. There's only one, there's only one that can do that, and that's God. Hosea 4.6, it says, My people are destroyed for a lack of what? Knowledge. Da'at. Because you have rejected knowledge... I also will reject you from being priest for me. Now think about this. We are a kingdom of what? Priests. Priest. We are a kingdom of priests. So this is talking to the Levitical priesthood, but this is also talking to us too, because we are a kingdom of, king, of priests, kings and priests. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. So a lack of knowledge, according to God himself, is forgetting the law of, his, of him. Forgetting his law. So, doesn't this tie back to what we just read about wisdom? Wisdom, talking about spiritual wisdom, is being able to discern the things of God. Being able to discern the knowledge of God. The ways of God. And what do the ways of God look like to the world? Foolishness. Foolishness. Because, hey, who doesn't want to have a good time? Who doesn't want to live like the world? Well, if you've got the Holy Spirit living within you, you don't want to live like the world. Because you want to be separate from the world. Come out and be separate, says the Lord. So, back in 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 50, it says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and God does not have the power... Flesh and blood. Sorry, I don't know what I just said. That flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Whatever I just said... Rewind it. Forget about it. Let me read that again. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. I knew what I was trying to say. It just didn't come out. So, hey, the shoe's on the other foot now. So, yeah, the shoe's on the other foot now, right? So, all right. <laughs> all right, verse 51, it says, I tell you, Behold, I tell you a mystery. Mysterion. In Hebrew, that would be sowed. I tell you a deeper level. Because flesh and blood doesn't have the power to inherit the kingdom of God, something's got to happen. What has to happen? Verse 51, We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet or the last trump, the readers in Paul's day would have known exactly what this was referring to. The last trump refers to what day? Feast of Yom Teruah, Feast of Trumpets. So they would have been looking for the return, that trumpet to blow at Yom Teruah. 
Feast of Trumpets. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So in order to stand before Almighty God, what has to happen to our flesh and our blood? It has to be changed. It has, we have to put on immortality. And when does that happen? That happens at the resurrection. Now, Paul, I'm sure, had this revealed to him in the time that he spent with Messiah. But is there an Old Testament underpinning for this? Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26. Let's go to Isaiah 26. So, would, so for this to be a mystery, it would have had to have been in the Scriptures hidden in plain sight. Hidden in plain sight. Isaiah chapter 26. Starting in verse 19. It says, Your dead shall live. Together with my dead body, they shall arise. Awaken, seeing you who dwell in dust. For your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Now, I have a note written here. I don't know exactly where this came from, but I have a, an asterisk right next to the word dew, and I have this little note. It says, in Hebrew literature, dew, dew and rain represent the regeneration of life. Here the dew represents or refers to the resurrection of the dead. So dew in Hebrew literature refers to regeneration of life. So a regeneration of life, well... Why do you think Isaiah used the word dew? Dew has to do with regeneration of life. What, is, what do we call the resurrection? It's the regeneration of life. So this is all pointing to the resurrection. Verse 20 says, Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation, the za'am, is passed. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to, to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their what? For their iniquity, their lawlessness. The earth shall also, will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. So Isaiah wrote about the resurrection that Paul is speaking of 700 years before he, he gave that revelation. So again, this is a mystery hidden in plain sight. Mystery hidden in plain sight. In Matthew 19, 28, Messiah refers to that regeneration. Matthew 19, 19 20. Okay, Matthew 19, 28. Someone needs to mute. Yeah. I was looking at something else, too. Um, Gavin, which verse are you referring to? You said what verse was that? Are you referring to Isaiah 26? If that's what... Okay, the one about knowledge about the law. Okay, that's Hosea 4.6. Hosea 4.6. Yeah, I tried muting everybody. It's just, for some reason, it's humming. All right, what was it again? Matthew what? I'm sorry. Matthew 19, verse 28. Matthew 19, 28. Matthew 19. Matthew. 
28. Matthew 19, 28. Sorry, I was looking at Matthew 19, 18. That's why it didn't read the same. All right, Matthew 19, 28. It says, So Yeshua said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration... Where did we just read about the regeneration? From Isaiah 26. When the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, you who have followed Me will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So this is what makes us believe that part of the 24 elders will be the, um, the 12 apostles. Yes. So, yep, during, in the regeneration. So that, that word do refers in Hebrew literature to the regeneration of life, and that's exactly what this is referring to, the, the resurrection, the regeneration, where we get our new bodies. All right, so we looked at the mystery of the resurrection. We looked at the mystery of the gospel. Now we're going to get to one of my one of my favorites is the mystery of lawlessness. Because I really like to get I really like to read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So we're going to read about the mystery of lawlessness. And again, I know I've said this for the last three times. This mystery is hidden where? In plain sight. Plain sight. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 7 through 12. Verse 7 says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So if you put the context with it all, this is talking about the false messiah. And the false messiah is referred to as the lawless one. The son of perdition, the son of Satan, the man of sin. But Paul is saying, however, the mystery of lawlessness has already been. This is not a new thing. But he's going to be kind of the where it kind of boils to a head, if you, want to, if you want to put it that way. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, for he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now, how would you like for your name to be written in the scriptures as the lawless one or the son of perdition? or the man of sin. So that's not, those are not titles that you want to wear on your shirt. Hello, I am the man of sin. You don't want that name tag. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. How quickly will God destroy the man of sin? Just like that. Just like that. And notice the scripture doesn't give us any gory details. It just says it's going to happen. Verse 9, it says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. With all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in what? Unrighteousness. So, who are the ones that are receiving that strong delusion that they would believe a lie? It's those who had pleasure in unrighteousness. The book of Romans refers to this as being turned over to a debased or a reprobate mind. 
So this is that same, that same kind of concept. So when you're turned over to a reprobate mind, you're being given over to a strong delusion that you would believe a lie. Now, why would God allow that to happen? Because if you reject God long enough, what's going to happen? He's going to let you have what you want. He's going to let you have it. But how are you going to like it come judgment day? You're not going to like it very much. You're not going to like it very much at all. So looking at this verse, or at these verses, verse 9 says, The coming of the lawless one is work according to the working of Satan. Do you see the word working? The word working in verse 9 and the word strong in verse 11 are the same Greek word. So working and the word strong are the same Greek word in verse, verses 9 and 11. And it's the word in Greek, energaia, 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 which if you write it out, it's E-N-E-R-G-E-I-A. Looks like energia, but it's pronounced energaia. So energaia doesn't mean just strength. It refers to superhuman power. So the only thing that would get somebody to, to have their mind become so debased, it has to be something that's beyond our power. So in order for God to give somebody over to a strong delusion, that means they're given over to something that is superhuman, something that's beyond our strength. And it says according in verse 9 where it talks about according to the working of Satan. What kind of power does that say that Satan has? Superhuman power. So does this scripture mean that we should go toe-to-toe with the devil? No, no, no. It says another place to resist the devil. Yeah, it says resist the devil. It doesn't say go toe-to-toe with it. It never says go toe-to-toe. Yeah, it says resist the devil and he will what? He will flee from you. But then what does the next verse say? It says draw near to God. So when you resist the devil, what is the next step? Draw near to God. Run to God. Let God be your defense. Now that mystery of lawlessness that was mentioned in verse 7 that shows, you know, like... This is, like I said, this is when it all boils to a head in the tribulation period. But that mystery of lawless, for Paul to use the word sowed or musterion, that means that this is something that's been hidden in plain sight. Lawlessness has been since the beginning. So if we turn all the way back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, we see the mystery of lawlessness already at work in Genesis chapter 3. So Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. We see the mystery of lawlessness hidden in plain sight. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 7. Verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in, of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So this is what we call temptation. Now, Eve had two choices. She knew what God had said because who had taught Eve? We at least know her husband would have taught her. But then she had the words of the enemy tempting her to do to commit sin. And what is sin? Sin is lawlessness. So God said, don't eat it. The enemy said, you won't die. Everything will be fine. So she was faced with two choices. Verse 6 says, when the woman saw, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So this mystery of lawlessness had been from the beginning because what has the enemy been trying to get people to do from the very beginning? To sin against God, to break God's commandments. And, you know, you've, probably, you've heard it said before, God doesn't care what we eat. Well, ask Adam and Eve. <laughs> ask Adam and Eve. What was the first sin? They ate what God told them not to eat. Ask Socrates who drank the hemlock. <laughs> yeah, we can't. He's dead. But anyway, Second <laughs> um, Corinthians chapter 11. Daniel, yes. An interesting thing there in, in um, Genesis. Yes. I heard one teacher explain the word Elohim there that the serpent used in speaking to Eve as telling Eve, in the day that you eat of it, God knows that you'll be like us gods, knowing good from evil. Because a lot of times the Elohim actually refers to... To gods, plural. And, and it, yeah, yes. judges and... yeah. So he's saying, hey, I already... No good and evil. Mm-hmm. You'll be like one of us. Yeah. You know, a lot of times the scripture is pretty pretty clear when it's talking about God. Yeah. You know, it'll, it'll say ha Elohim a lot of times. So in a lot you have to really look at the context as to whether it's talking about God's plural or whether it's talking about God. God. So, Second um, Corinthians chapter 11. So talking about the mystery of lawlessness. So how does this lawlessness get spread? It gets spread through false teachers. So we could spend a whole another hour, two hours, three hours, three days looking at scriptures about false prophets. But I want you to look at this one. This one really kind of drives it home. Speaking about the, the mystery of lawlessness, especially when connected to the false Messiah. Second um, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. It says... But I, actually, let's start in verse 2. It says, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Messiah. But I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted by the simplicity that is in Messiah. For if he who comes preaches another Yeshua whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. So this Paul is saying there are going to be people who come and try to preach a different Yeshua, 
a different Jesus, if you will. So what does that different Yeshua look like? Well, how is Yeshua presented in most pulpits across America? Yeshua was a lawbreaker. He broke Sabbath. And he wants us, he came to do away with the law. You know, we had this old, mean Old Testament God. Now we got this nice new Jesus. So think about how Yeshua is presented to people today. Think about how Yeshua is presented to the Jewish people. Who do the Jewish people think, or the Jewish anti-missionaries, who do they teach Daniel 7.25 is referring to? Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. And what does Daniel 7.25 refer to? The false Messiah. The one, who in, the one who intends to change times and laws. Did Yeshua come to do, to do away with God's laws? Well, He can't. He is God. He can't do away with God's law. But what did He come to do? He, he came to fulfill, to plurao, to fully preach, to fully teach God's Word, to teach it correctly. So it means that over the span of time before Messiah came, God's law had been taught incorrectly. Well, obviously so, because what did Messiah, if Messiah came to fully preach the Torah, what's that mean people had not been doing? Preaching the Torah correctly. He corrected the Pharisees' doctrines on a lot of things. That was not from Yeah, the well, they, they loved that a whole lot, didn't they? <laughs> they liked it a lot. They really appreciated it. They, they really did appreciate it, didn't mm-hmm. they? Yeah. Um, but if Messiah had to come on at the first coming to correct the bad teaching, what is he going to do at his second coming? Is Messiah going to be? Te- is he going to be teaching the Torah? He certainly Isaiah is. two, Michael. Isaiah two. Let's look at Isaiah two. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're going to be um, in detention for a while, don't you think? And Daniel, while you're going, uh, is another verse that goes along with that Second Corinthians four three uh-huh. four. I'm talking about it goes along with Second Corinthians eleven. Is another verse that goes along with that Second Corinthians four three four. So, are you asking if there is another verse that goes along with it? Yeah. Um, yeah, those. That's on the same line. Yeah, I mean, so Isaiah two, we could. We can we can go there because if we say well, let me let me answer your question, Rachel. Go to First John four. First John four. So keep a finger in Isaiah two. Go back to First John four. So her question was: Is there another scripture that goes along with if somebody preaches a different Yeshua, a different Jesus? First John four. First John four. It's not word for word, but it's the same premise. Verse 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Here's how you know. Every spirit that confesses that Yeshua Messiah has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Yeshua the Messiah has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, 
which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Doesn't that sound just like what Paul said? The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So the spirit of Antichrist, the spirit of the false Messiah, the mystery of lawlessness, it's all talking about the same thing. Now, people might say, well, wait a minute. Every, every church service, we talk about how Messiah, how Jesus has come in the flesh. And it says, this is how you know that by this you know by the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Messiah, Yeshua the Messiah has come in the flesh is of God. But think about this. Are you preaching that Messiah is a lawbreaker? Are you preaching that Messiah came to abolish the things God has already established and start something new? If you're doing, if you're doing that, then what are you preaching? A different Yeshua. It's a false Messiah. It's a false Yeshua. So even if you are confessing that Messiah is, has come in the flesh and is, is of God, is of God. If you're saying that he's come in the flesh and came to do away with all of the things that God has established, then what are you preaching? You're preaching a you're not preaching the Messiah. Because the Messiah came to fulfill the words of God and fully preach the word, to continue the work the things and correct the wrong correct the things that have been made wrong. So he didn't come to start something new. He came to establish that which God had already set up from the beginning, which was His Word, His commandments, because they had been taught so poorly over the years. Yes. Many, many faiths teach a false, false Yeshua. Islam, they tell me, they believe in Jesus? Isa. Yeah. Yeah. It's a false, it's t if you read what they believe, He's totally false. There are cults who believe and you just name it, and it's it's not in the scripture. It's false. There are denominations yeah. who teach that, for instance, Jesus loves hamburger. I'm sorry, pork, uh, or that you know the yeah. things you're talking about. That's not the Jesus that's in scripture. It, yeah. That's lawlessness because the law says don't. Yeah. And they say, oh, that doesn't count. Do. Yeah. That's exactly what the serpent did with Eve. Yeah. Oh, so God said, don't eat pork here, eat this. Yeah. It's not going to hurt you. So why do you think Paul referred back to the craftiness of the serpent when he said, you know, don't believe the words of a, of a prophet that preaches a false messiah? Yeah, because the spirit it's the of same. Christ is, has been in the world since Adam and Eve. Right. It's the same spirit. And so, the man of sin that was in the scripture that you read earlier, um, and the, the spirit of lawlessness has been in the world since Adam and Eve, right. but the man of sin, eventually, uh, he's going to be just sin embodied. Right, and that's uh, that's why I was, you know. In the meantime, everybody who says, no, you don't have to obey that word because that's right. in the Old Testament. Yeah. They're all participating in that spirit. Well, let's turn to Matthew 7 and see what's going to happen in that day to the, to the people who listened to the words of those false prophets. The whole premise of Matthew 7 is what happens to those words, to, the, to those people who obey that lawless gospel, who obey the words of lawlessness. Matthew seven twenty one. it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. 
Many will say to me in that day, judgment day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Now, as I've said before, are those necessarily bad things? No. No. But are those things that God specifically commanded in the Torah? No. No. And then, verse 23, it says, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So verse 22 is a list of things. Lord, these are things that I think please you. I don't care what you told me. These are the things that I think will please you. So what what happens if we try to put what we think will please God ahead of what God commanded for us to do. Is God going to be okay with that? Deuteronomy 12. At the best, that's called wood, hay, and stone. Yeah. Well, but it's a little confusing to me because, um, you know, did you not speak prophecy? Okay, so, you know, God raised up prophets. That doesn't mean yeah. everybody's a prophet. Right. But, you know, so, so these are these things are not bad no, things. No, they're not all. bad things. Um, you know, casting out demons, Yeshua did that. Right. Um, miracles, it, Yeshua right. did that. And some of the prophets were, you know, right. did miracles. So these in of themselves are not bad right. things. Right, they're, they're not bad things. things. They're right. all good works. But, the, but. but what did they f- neglect to do? Right. That They did these things that they thought would please God. Instead of. Instead, right. of, Instead of. In place of. So, like, think about, you know, like... You know, there are a lot of churches that place emphasis, and I know speaking from experience, there are a lot of churches that place emphasis on these things that they think this is this is the thing that will please God, but then neglect all the other things in the scripture. You know, and what's God telling to those people? He's saying, I never knew you depart from me, you practice lawlessness. He's saying, You're doing this which you think will please me, but you're neglecting everything else. And it's almost like they're pleasing themselves. Yeah. Because, you know, if you want to know how to love God and have, it's, it's to please Him, as you said, right. to, to follow the commandments. Right. It's very clear. You know, and you mentioned Deuteronomy 12. Let's flip back there because there's a part in Deuteronomy 12 that goes right along with what we're speaking about. Deuteronomy 12, verse 28. Deuteronomy 12, 28. Deuteronomy 12, 28. It says, observe and obey all these words which I command you, that it may go well with you and your children after you forever. When you do what is good and right, in whose sight? In the sight of the Lord your God. So this scripture right here tells you, for all those people who say, that's not what it means to me. It means X, Y, Z to me. Point them back to Deuteronomy 12, 28 and say, that doesn't matter what it means to you. It matters what it means to God. So if God views something as an abomination, it doesn't matter if you view it as an abomination or not. It matters what God thinks. So if God says, don't do this, it's an abomination, does, does God really want you to say, well, it doesn't matter. That's not how I think of it. Everybody's doing his Think about the book of Judges. How does the book of Judges end? Each man did what was right in his own eyes. Is that how you want the book of your life ended? And every man did what was right in his own eyes. That's never a good way to end a book. 
32. Verse 32. It says, whatever I command you, literally the Hebrew says everything, everything I command you, be careful to observe it. Literally says you will keep or guard to do it. You shall not add to it nor take away from it. So that is the nature of man, isn't it? To want to add to it, to want to build fences around God's word, to want to take away from God's word. So if people are not adding to God's word, trying to add fences around it, they're trying to take away from it and have one commandment. Okay? So we just have to be careful not to add to, not to take away from it. Like I said, that's human nature. And what does verse 32 begin with? It doesn't get translated to English. It begins with an olive tav. Yeah. So an olive tav as in Messiah saying this, whatever through Messiah I command you, be careful to do it, to observe it. You shall not add to it nor take away from it. So God is saying, don't, don't do it. Hey. Hi, Daniel. Those three things, the casting out demons, the doing many wonders, and the prophesying are also things that would get the performer of those things a lot of attention and a lot of praise. Yeah. So they suggest that perhaps the motivation of someone who's seeking to do those things is is quite flawed as well. Right. You know, and it and that's the thing, you know, and that that points us back to um, to first Corinthians chapter three. You know, if you're doing stuff to be seen, if you're doing the works, that they could be good works, but if you're doing it to get, you know, patted on the back, the praises of men, is that gold, precious stones, or is that wood, hay, and straw? That would be, you know, that those would be those works that would just burn up. You know, but in this case, in Matthew 7, these are works that won't even get you into the kingdom. So, you know... It's, that's why God is the judge. There's tension in Scripture because it's yes and no. For instance, in I think it's Mark, Yeshua says, as you go, preach, saying that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, right. cast out devils, and raise right. the dead. So he was telling Those them are, yeah, yeah, but, as signs. But that's just obedience. But then you get Yeshua speaking to the Pharisees at one point. He says, look, you tithe your herbs in your garden. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. But you neglect the weightier matters of the law. You think that you're going right down to the very nitty gritty of obeying the scripture and you're neglecting yeah. it. So yeah. what what that's that same premise here in Matthew seven. Yeah. Like you're trying to be so nitty gritty about these things, but you're neglecting the weightier matters of the law. Yeah, God says yeah. mercy and, and, and humility and, and faith. faith, yeah. Yeah. The, the weightier things are just all through Scripture. Yeah. I mean, it says, what does the Lord require of you but to love justice, justice and to do mercy and to walk humbly yeah. with your God? Watch some of these TV evangelists and see how humbly they're walking with their God. Right. Yep. Didn't I say that? Yeah. Sorry. You said it. it say you said it and it's recorded right here. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Oh, dear. Yeah. No names. No names. <laughs> all right. So that's the mystery of lawlessness. I mean, like I said, we could go to hundreds of scriptures about false teachers, about false prophets, but this is enough to teach us that that mystery of lawlessness has been from how long? From the, from the beginning. So that's just something that's been hidden in plain sight throughout the scriptures. Does, the, does lawlessness continue today? Absolutely. So 
Lawlessness did not end with Messiah's death, burial, and resurrection. Lawlessness continues. Because what is lawlessness? It's the opposite of righteousness, but it's also breaking God's commandments. That's Torahlessness is without, without instruction, without Torah. All right. We're going to look at now what is the mystery of godliness. So we looked at lawlessness, but now we're going to look at the mystery of godliness. So let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Starting in verse 14. So 1 Timothy 3, starting in verse 14. The title of my Bible here, of this section, is called The Great Mystery. So when something's called the great mystery, it must mean it's pretty important. It says these things, verse 14, it says, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church or the ecclesia, the called out assembly of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So what should be the pillar of of the called out assembly, truth, Torah. That should be the foundation, the thing that holds everything up. Verse 16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. All right, that word godliness, I want to give you a word. It's the Greek word eusebia, eusebia, E-U-S-E-B-I-A, eusebia. Greek word 2150 in the Strong's Concordance. And this word godliness means reverence or respect. So this is the mystery of respect, of reverence. So you could call it godliness, um, reverence, respect. So here it is. So if we want to live in a state of reverence, respect for God, for fear, for faith, here it is. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit or by the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. So this is the mystery of reverence, that God was manifested in the flesh through Messiah, justified or declared righteous by the Spirit. Because what did the Spirit speak? He said, this is my what? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles. Preached among the who? The Gentiles. Again, we, that ties us back to that mystery of the gospel. Who was the gospel for? It was for everyone. Believed on in the world and received up into glory. So if we believe in this section of Scripture right here, this has, helps us to have respect and reverence for who God is. So when we think about Yeshua, when we think about who He is, was He just a man? Was He just a flesh and blood man? Or was He more than just a man? He was more than just a man. He was God manifested in the flesh. So notice too, the context of this passage is contrasting true godliness with false godliness. Because think about the ascetic Gnostics. 
What was their concept of godliness? If you look at that third section down where it says, God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels. What did Gnostics worship? They worshiped angels. So this is kind of giving us kind of a clue as to who this is, who the intended target is. Did Paul ever have words against the Gnostics? Oh, his, his, gospel, his epistles are full of warnings against Gnostic doctrine. So Paul is teaching the, to Timothy. He's saying, here's what true godliness is. Why was he telling Timothy this? Well, Timothy was going to be um, leading the congregation where he was. So he had to know the difference between true godliness and false godliness. And what is that false godliness? Where, where do we read about that false godliness, that godliness of man? That's in the book of Colossians. Let's go to Colossians real quick. Colossians chapter 2, talking about false godliness. Let's start at verse 20. It says, therefore, Colossians 2.20, Therefore, if you died with Messiah from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulation? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. These are all ascetic Gnostic principles. If something tastes good, can you eat it? No. If something is great, can you have it? No. You have to deny yourself of everything. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. All which concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. Verse 23 is the key verse. It says, These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion. False humility... And neglect of the body. So that means on the outside, it look, oh, look how, look how righteous, look how, look how spiritual, look how, you know, they're whipping themselves with these whips trying to get so much closer to God. And what does God say about that? Don't waste your time. Yeah. Self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So really, when people are doing all of these things, this false humility, what's the only thing that you're indulging? Yourself. Your body. Your body yourself. So that's the mystery of godliness that we, that we are reading about. Let's go to 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy 4. Still talking about the mystery of godliness. Verses 7 and 8, it says, But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward what? Godliness. Godliness. It's saying get rid of those old wives' tales, those old stories that don't amount to a hill of beans. Exercise yourself toward godliness. Verse 8, For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things having promise of the life that is that now is and of that which is to come. Doesn't that relate so much to the Hebrew word chaim? The Hebrew word chaim is plural, but it's the word for life. 
So what does it refer to? It refers to this life and the one that is to come. The one that is to come. All right, let's end it with 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy. Sorry. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Starting in verse 1, it says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. From such people, turn away. So what is this telling us? What is this warning us about people who have a false appearance of godliness? It's telling us to stay away from them. Run. Run in the other direction. I still have one more section. So we'll get to it tomorrow, if the Lord willing. And it's about what is the mystery of Babylon. So that... So we'll get to that one tomorrow, God willing, in our continued study of Behold, I Show You a Mystery.